Good Thursday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the X's and O's with Greg Cosell and Doug Farrar. That guy over there is Greg Cosell, fresh from his uh, camping trips to Tennessee and Philadelphia. Greg, you're out. Uh, I saw you got some color there out in the sun watching uh, watching a couple of different training camps. And we have two actual preseason games tonight. We have Texans Patriots. We have Seahawks Vikings. So while we'll get into more matchup related stuff, as this, as you mean, this, Doug, you're not going to make a definitive judgment on C.J. Stroud's entire career based on the 12 balls he might throw tonight. Oh, I am, especially if it's in a pouring rainstorm. That that's yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, where do you go? Because I th- I think you should. I think you know you should and you should immediately put that out on on uh, Twitter exactly. You know what his career is going to be. Yes, I've actually I've I've been making uh, definitive statements about uh like little one rep. Uh, Twitter videos from like Jameer Gibbs, who's going to be obviously the next Gale Sayers because of this one guy he juked in seven on seven. So yeah, well there you go. I'm, I'm it, all over it. By the way, is it supposed to rain at that game tonight? Uh, I someone told me it is. So oh, um, but you know, I'm going to make a definitive judgment without any evidence anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Right, right. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the weather is, Greg. I'm I'm coming in. You know, facts not in evidence. That's. <laughs> That's that's what we should call that the facts not an evident facts not an evidence podcast from now on. Forget the there you go. Make stuff up as we go along. So instead of the matchup stuff we normally do, because we have two games tonight, the video will go up Friday morning. Um, I wanted to get into the positions that rookies find the most challenging as they transition from college to the NFL. And this obviously matters in the preseason because you come in, you got your rookie mini camp, you got your other rookie mini camp, you got training camp, you know, you're hitting the ground running at a hundred thousand miles an hour, just trying to keep everything in your head because you're learning a new system and you know, you, you don't know any of your teammates or your coaches and all that. So when we look at the positions and we're taking quarterback out of the equation, that's like an entire episode of the transition from college to pro. So, with the caveat that we're not doing quarterbacks in this particular episode, although I think it's a fascinating contract construct to talk about uh, in a future show, tease, tease. Um, we talked yesterday and you had three interesting positions that are the most, perhaps, I guess, drastic is one word, one way to put it, transitions from college to the NFL. And kind of when, when I bring these positions up, maybe sort of, go into detail about what we might see in these preseason games that indicate what the transitions are. So I want to start with receivers. Um, and I believe this is the first one you mentioned to me. We talked about it this week. Why is the transition for receivers particularly difficult, you know, problematic? It takes a little while. What are the differences between college and the NFL for these guys? And obviously every player is different. But in a general sense, a general specific, kind of how does that work? Yeah, and let's just start with the fact that clearly some guys do come in and they're great right away. So right. there's always exceptions to every rule. So I don't want people listening to think, well, what about Justin Jefferson? You know, he didn't have a problem. What about this guy? He didn't have a problem. And there's always cases like that, as we know. But we're just talking sort of the the overview of what players have to learn when they come from college to the NFL. So if you start a receiver, you know, and, and maybe a lot of people don't think like that, but it's just lining up is, is in and of itself a different animal because in the NFL, it starts with where you line up, what are referred to as splits. Okay. Mm-hmm. And splits 
in the NFL, receivers have different splits. They don't necessarily just line up in one place. And splits now, depending on where that is, that impacts the way you run routes. It impacts whether you're running routes in combination with other receivers. Uh, You could be running a route where you're not necessarily in combination with others, but it starts just with where you line up. Now, in college, many teams, and particularly teams that run air raid principles, which is very prevalent in college, they don't really change where players line up. A lot of players line up only on the right side of the formation, only on the left side of the formation, and they don't really change their splits, meaning the where they are on each, on the particular side of the formation. So they're not used to when they get to the NFL to lining up in different spots. Um, and then, as I said, if let's say in the NFL, we talk about three by one sets all the time. If you're to the trip side, to the three receiver side, you're running routes in combination with others. So therefore, you have to be incredibly precise with your steps, with your yardage, when you break, how that relates to the other receivers. Because any sport where there's relatively confined space, you hear this in basketball all the time, but it's absolutely true in football as well, spacing is a critical element. And you have to have an understanding of that because you don't want to run your route if, if you're in combination too close to someone else. You see, you see, I see that a lot when I watch NFL tape where routes are too close together. Yes. And that kills the quarterback because he gets no indicator, no defined read as to when and where to throw the football. Sure. Um, so th- that's a starting point. Another point is then press coverage. Um, mm-hmm. You see a little more now in college than you used to, but still not the way you see it in the NFL. And you have to be able to get off press coverage without disrupting the timing of your route. Because the bottom line is, and I remember having this conversation for years with Sterling Sharp when he used to be in NFL films all the time. If you're not going to be where you're supposed to be when you're there, when you're supposed to be, the quarterback's not going to look to throw the ball to you. So you have to find a way, and there's there's techniques. But there's also receivers I've spoken to, veteran receivers who are retired, who sometimes say, hey, the techniques are great. It doesn't matter. You just have to get through it. You know, some guys are, are technicians about it. Other guys just say, hey, screw it. I just got to get this guy off me. You know, it just depends on whatever your skill set is. Um, A.J. Brown is a technician, but he can also just beat you up and take your lunch. Right. Break. You know, so it depends on what your 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 skill set is and your traits are. Um, so then – The other factor that plays into that at times is in the NFL, which doesn't happen very often in college, is you have to be able to adjust routes on the move, because that is also critical. And again, referring back to something Sterling Sharp told me, you know, he said sometimes based on coverage, if his route was supposed to break it, let's say 16 yards, he might have to break it off at 12 yards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just based on what the coverage presents, and these are things you have to learn. They don't. You don't just come to the NFL. Some guys learn quicker than others. Obviously, that's true in any business. And that's why I said, hey, there are examples of guys who've come in and been great right away. Um, but it also takes time. There's a lot of receivers who go through a first year and they struggle. And in this immediate world, now they get labeled as busts. And then all of a sudden, the light goes off in the second year. They become pretty good. Um, you know, so... You know, those are just a few things, but these are really, really important things. And these are things you have to learn. Plus, you know, 
something very simple as just the the symmetry of the field is different with the hash marks. Yes, so the, the whole I, idea. I was going to bring that up because you can use space in college horizontally in a way you can't in the NFL. Correct. So spacing and balance is a whole different deal in the NFL from what it is in college. And, you know, these are things you just have to learn. And don't forget, then you're being taught techniques as well. And those things are going through your mind, you know, how to do certain things that are different from college where they only get 20 hours a week and it's very scheme based. And, you know, I've had conversations with coaches at all positions and they tell me that when these they get these guys in the league, that they're literally starting from scratch when it comes to techniques and details and nuance. So you're mm-hmm. being taught that as well, in addition to the other things I just mentioned. Yeah, allegedly twenty hours a week. Of course, no one, no one, no one ever breaks that rule. That never happens. Uh, we're, maybe we're not, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it is a to- it's a totally different animal. It's a totally different deal, and uh, you know, so there's there, there's so much to learn. You know, I was very fortunate. I remember years ago, um, I was interviewing Larry Fitzgerald for actually it was a Kurt Warner piece, and I was interviewing Larry Fitzgerald and. You know, we had time before the shoot started. He got to the to the interview early. And, you know, he's a, I don't know if you've ever met him, but he's a yeah. really appealing guy and easy yeah. to talk to. And for 15 minutes, he was just talking to me about splits. And, you know, that really opened my eyes. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things, Doug, I think you and I know. But then when you hear a coach or a player speak about it, it resonates in a totally different way. And you just feel like you learned so much, even though you probably knew it, but now you feel like you really know it. You know, it's, it's just totally different, you know. Right. Well, we know it at the outside level, but I, I mean, one of my favorite football stories ever, John Madden, when he was like, I think he was still a college coach in the 60s, went to see Vince. I'm sure you know the story. Went to see Vince Lombardi uh, at a seminar. It was eight hours. I remember hours, that. Yes. Lunch, four hours. Lombardi talked about the Packer sweep for eight hours. Eight hours. And Madden said, I realized at that moment, I didn't know bleep. <laughs> and that's the way I've been to some, some seminars like that and heard coaches speak. And, you know, and I was very fortunate. I was just in, in Tennessee and got to speak with an ex-coach who I know extremely well, just on the sideline for 50 minutes. And I was peppering him with questions about installation of defense and certain things, how you cover certain things, you know, and he's talking, he's, he's phenomenal. And, you know, as he's saying it, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I kind of understand that. But the way he was saying it, you also start to think, God, there's so much more I have to learn, you yeah. know. And but the point is, is that there's so much that of detail and nuance that you have to learn as a receiver when you get to the NFL level that you just don't understand until you get there. And it's just hard. And because the last thing you want players to do is have to think through the game while they're playing. Yeah, if you think you can't think, if you think you're dead, the plays. Yeah, over. it has to become muscle memory and just repetitive. So the point you just do it, and that takes time. And you know, I, I know sometimes fans don't understand that, but it takes time sometimes. Yep. Moving to offensive line, and before we get into, I know we're you know two point stances and things like that. One thing I, I've and I've written about this for a long time. When, you know, it's why edge defenders, you know, or, or any pass rusher might take a year to sort of get get the hang of it in the NFL is the hand technique maybe isn't elevated and you know there's just so many technical things you need to learn I wonder if and, and how much do you think this is possible that when you come into the NFL as an offensive lineman no matter how good you are you're now dealing with guys who have a complete array of technique and you just never saw that in the NFL no 
because these guys are just used to running around bad tackles. Now it's like you got Zadarius Smith one week, and you got, well now you got Zadarius Smith on one side, and Miles Garrett on the other. Then you got Nick Bosa. Then you you know on and on and on, and it's just like it's this you know it's the ice cream factory all of a sudden. So with the, the transition for offensive tackles, how much of that to start is now you're facing guys who are just throwing stuff at you that you really have never seen before. No, and that, that's one part of it. I'm glad you mentioned that to start. You're talking about the pass protection part, and that's really, really difficult because, you know, you what, what do we always say when we watch edge pass rushers in college with very few exceptions? Even the guys that we think are going to be good pros and we like them as prospects, we always say they need to increase their array of moves because right. most edge pass rushers in college – don't have a wide repertoire of moves and they don't use their hands extremely well because, because they don't have to they don't have to that's a, yeah they haven't grown up to that point in their career where they've had to do that to be successful so now think of it in terms of offensive linemen you come into the NFL as an offensive tackle let's say and now you're facing players that you just mentioned someone like Nick Bosa who's as good as there is in initiating and then playing off contact with his hand usage and you're not used to that at all you know you're used to guys who are just trying to beat you athletically and you know it's a whole different animal and you have to learn number one you have to learn how to vary your pass sets you have to learn how to vary how you use your hands because it's a chess match it's a one-on-one chess match you have to learn how to vary your sets you have to learn that hey if a guy can beat me with a speed with speed to power do I have to shorten my set so I don't give him too much of a runway? If I feel like he can't beat me with speed to power, do I maybe set a little deeper because now I'm just waiting for him because I want, want you know, the Brian Burns of the world. I mean, you know, I'm just waiting for him to make his move. And then, cause Hey, he's got to get through me. And if he can't do it with power, I'm just waiting for him to do all his stuff. So you can change your set. You know, you have to, if, by the way, if, he, if he then reads my set and I'm setting too deep, how, Oh, now I can give him the inside. Count. Now I, maybe I, I give him the inside. I can him that way. Cause he's too far back. I mean, what is, what is one thing you often see with young offensive tackles because they get to the NFL. Evan Neal's a great example of this with the giants a year ago. You get so concerned about getting beat off the edge. Cause these guys are quicker that you overset. You're too quick and you get off balance at the top of your set. And, and then then you're you're done you're beat you know so you have to learn so many different techniques of how to vary sets how to vary your hand usage how to bait a guy to you know bait a pass rusher so you get him to use his hands the way you want him to use his hands as opposed to him being proactive against you so right. you know these are all things you have to learn and this is just the pass protection part now let's go to the run blocking element because <laughs> in college football, with very few exceptions, you know, maybe the Iowa's of the world, Michigan, there's more than that, obviously, but there's there's fewer, obviously, in college Alabama, football. Yeah. yeah. Most teams do not have offensive linemen, particularly tackles, in two-point stances. Most teams do not have offensive tackles come off the ball, you know, in a two-point stance where they down block, drive block, base block. You know, I think of someone like Andre Dillard, who's now going to be the left tackle for the um, the Titans, who was with Philly. You know him well being up in your area from yep. Washington State, playing for Mike Leach at the time. You yep. know, these guys play in a two-point stance. They're always leaning backward. They're never going forward. They don't develop the core power. They don't develop the hips, you know, generating power through their hips. They don't develop any of this stuff because it's not required 
different for what they're asked to do in college football. And then they get to the NFL. And yes, it's a passing game more than a running game. But still, even teams that throw it a lot, you know, they line up and they run the ball. And you've got to be able to drive block. You've got to be able to move forward and generate power and velocity through your core and your hips. You've got to be able to sustain by keeping your feet moving. You've got to understand where to place your hands. You know, these are become learned traits. You know, no, and you know, no one starts out playing football being an offensive lineman. No one says when they're three years old, "Hey, Dad, I really want to stick my hand in the ground. That's the way I want to play football." <laughs> no one says that. It's all learned traits, and you've got to keep learning. And when you get to the NFL, there's an awful lot to learn. And then you and I both know that the athletes now playing defensive line, even at their size, I mean, think of the Dexter Lawrence's of the world. They're just they're incredibly big, but they're also really athletic now. Yeah. Your Vita Veas and whatnot, and you know, Haloti Nada and all those guys. Yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. Um, and we don't really, I don't think we talk about that enough about when you know the edge rusher versus the offensive tackle or a stunner or whatever, but just the one on one, the chess match you talked about is that you're trying to fool each other. You're trying to maybe come off with a counterman and just watching a lot of Joe Thomas because he just went in the Hall of Fame, obviously, justifiably so. One of the greatest. Joe Thomas was, I, I used to be so amazed good. at watching like, Joe Thomas because yeah. he made it look I mean, again, I've been doing this a long time, so I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. I mean, we had that great era of offensive tackles with Walter Jones, Jonathan Ogden, and, and Pace in the league at the same time. I even go back to watching Anthony Munoz, who many consider the you know the best left tackle ever to play. But Joe Thomas just made it look so easy. I was always blown away watching him. It looked like he was exerting no effort whatsoever. Right. And one of the things he could do is, all right, well, I, you know, I've watched your tape. I know what you do. Like if you, you're going to give me the counter, if I take this sort of right. step this way, it, I, I've got all your moves in my head. And and that that's one reason he was, a, he was able to make it look easy was that he had done all his homework. So it, it's like you said before about receipt, it has to be, re, it, you have to just go. It's muscle right. memory, like you said, based on tape, based on all the things you studied. Um, and here's we'll conclude with another position of study, which is cornerback. And yeah. we've talked in the last few months about how in this particular draft class of cornerbacks, I don't remember one that I've ever seen. Cornerbacks at least 5'11", at least 190. It's like all the baby Sherms are coming out. All the LOB, all the guys who grew up watching, you know, hey, I want to be a cornerback because that looks like fun. I can just beat people up. So – especially with that in mind, when we watch cornerbacks in the preseason who are just coming into the league, what are the things to look for that they're going to be adjusting to? Well, one, they're going to have to play more press. Okay. And press again, there's techniques involved. You know, you know, one of the things I always notice when I watch, and and I I look at this when I watch college corners, because they do play press. I mean, there are snaps, as you know, where you see college corners and press, but you know, when you play press, there's multiple ways to play press. There's what we call physical press, and then there's what we call mirror match press, where you don't put your hands on anybody. You just wait for the receiver to declare his release, and then you either, you know, some believe you look at the shoulder, some believe you look at the hips. You know, there's different ways to teach it, but you react to that. Um, right. But, you know, one of the things I notice is footwork with corners all the time. And, you know, when you're in press, footwork becomes so critical because if you get beat off the line and in the NFL getting beat, you know, we're not talking about getting beat by three steps. We can be talking about getting beat by half a step and you're beating the NFL, yep. you know, and 
very often these guys, the footwork, and again, I, I, I can't speak to how they're coached, how much they're coached. I don't want to get into because I don't know. I'm not at, in, at you know, college practices. But, you know, footwork is absolutely critical. And one thing I noticed with so many college corners and press is so many guys, their first reaction is almost to lean back on their heels. And if you mm. start to lean back on your heels, you know, that's really hard to, to then compensate for. Now, in college, maybe you can do that because the receivers you're playing against, with very few exceptions, are, are not going to be NFL receivers. Um, right. But in the NFL, you can't do that. You know, in the NFL, you know, even guys who don't run really well, I mean, think of the Cooper Cups of the world, receivers like that, who just so understand how to run routes and get you off your spot. You could be a better athlete than Cooper Cup. I remember when Cooper Cup ran the 4.62 at the Combine, as I'm sure you remember, and add to that the fact that he came out of Eastern Washington and people are like, oh, my God, that guy can't play, you know, and, and you know how that goes. But the point is, you know, you're dealing with receivers who understand how to run routes, how to set you up, how to get you off your spot. You know, that's all it takes. So you have to be so precise in, in, in what you do. You know, people look at corner and probably think it's just it's a you're an athlete. You're just a great athlete can play corner. Well, yeah, it's nice to be able to start with that. And it's nice to, you know, be Jalen Ramsey and be 6'2", 215 and be a great athlete. But there's not a 100 of those guys. So, you know, so much of playing corner has to do with your technique and your footwork and your balance and reading receivers. How do receivers make their breaks? What happens at the top of the route stem? What, what do specific receivers do? You know, when I'm playing a, a master technician like Devontae Adams, how does he try to set me up? What is he going to do based on his split? You know, that now we get back to splits on the other side of the ball from a corner perspective. Hey, if he's lined up two yards inside the numbers, I know from my film study he's going to run one of three routes. If he's lined up two yards outside the numbers, I know from my film study he's going to do X, Y, or Z. You know, these are things that you have to really learn. You know, no one thinks about that. They just think, hey, man, you're a corner. You're out there. You, you could, hey, cover that cat. Cat coverage, man, you got that cat. But there's yeah. so much more that goes into that. And it's it's all based on study. And I'm sure different guys, you know, do their own thing. Some guys in college may take it upon themselves and study all the time. Other guys may just, you know, work when they're at, on the practice field. Who knows? You know, that becomes an individual thing. But you've got to know all these things. Yeah. And you've got to understand these things. And they have to become second nature. Well, we, I mean, to make it as simple as just uh, you're pressing a pure speed receiver. In college, it may have been Jalen Hyatt. Now it's Tyree Kill. And they're both very fast. They're both dynamic. They can both shake you off. But the ways in which Tyree Kill is able to leverage you or a Justin Jefferson, it, it's, the, it's the most evil thing I see right now is when Jefferson – goes up straight vertically fast and all of a sudden it's an end cut or it's a comeback. And he does that. He does that at full speed and you're just left going, what on earth do I do now? Well, he's got, there's very few Justin Jefferson's with the ability to, to cut without shortening your stride or slowing your stride. He's, he's unique in that way. Um, But you know, for those, for those who, who actually have access to tape and want to look, there's a, a corner last year who had one of the best games I remember watching by a corner who's not a big name corner. And you'll remember this game. 
If you watch Mike Davis of the Chargers, who's mm-hmm. the boundary corner for the Chargers, he actually got beat out last year when they signed J.J. Jackson. But Jackson, of course, got hurt and missed the season. But if you want to watch Mike Davis against the Miami Dolphins last year, he had one of the best games yep. by any corner because he was matched against Hill and Waddle very often. And they let him play a ton of press and they let him play what was in a sense zero man because mm-hmm. they did not necessarily give him safety help over the top. He got beat one time by Hill for a touchdown where he kind of slipped. He may have gotten beat anyway. But other than that, you know, there were 70 snaps in that game or whatever. Um, he was unbelievable. And you can just see that. You know from watching that tape that that week of practice, he was a serious student to prepare for that game. Yep. He's shown up on my secret superstar list a couple of times in the last three or four years. He's a good player. But that's so just to to conclude, when we watch the preseason, we see these rookies come in, and especially the guys in the later rounds who maybe, you know, uh, it just it, it might take longer. Let's not automatically go to bustitude and, oh, this guy stinks. He's got a lot to learn. And oh, he, my God. And these yeah, you, can't, you can't react like that as a fan. You know, I know it's easy to when you're rooting for your team, but there is so much to learn, so much. In fact, coaches will probably tell you they, they'd almost rather see guys make mistakes in the preseason because yeah. you want, number one, you want to coach and learn, and number two, you always want to find out what you can and can't do. You don't yes. want to find that out in, 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 in the second quarter of week one. You know, they talk about that with quarterbacks all the time, and we'll do another show with quarterbacks. As right. you said, we could speak for 20 minutes just about a quarterback. But, you know, I remember Sid Gilman, you know, Brian Jaworski told me the great story about Sid Gilman when Dick Vermeil brought him into coach in Philly. And Sid Gilman had a philosophy that in training camp, you want to push the limits. You want to try to make throws. He, he would tell him, I don't care if you throw five picks. You need to know what throws you can make, what throws you can't make, what are you comfortable making, because you don't want to find that out week three. You know, you want to you want to know that in training camp in the preseason. Yeah, you want to know the can and can't. You want to know the whys and wherefores and all that. Yeah. And that's what the preseason is about. And uh, we're about to start it. And uh, I think we'll – I think maybe we'll get to quarterback, quarterbacks next week because that's a whole show. And that's a whole, you know, <laughs> that's where the funnel yeah. expands. But uh, as always, great, great stuff. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Doug.